Today's sponsor is Stamps.com. Avoid trips to the post office. Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. Go to Stamps.com today and sign up for a special offer. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type decode. Also today, we are sponsored by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at Audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me best as the person who invented the Edison machine for Theranos, but in my spare time, I talk tech. And you are listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about Silicon Valley's key players, big ideas, and how they are changing the world we live in. Today in the red chair is Mike Moritz, the person who is just laughing at my fantastic Theranos joke. He's actually one of Silicon Valley's most successful and powerful venture capitalists. It was not always thus. Growing up in Wales made you understand what being an outsider is like, he said about his modest beginnings. I came to America in 1976 without actually knowing anyone here. No grand plan whatsoever. One thing led to another. I wound up as a correspondent for Time magazine and was transferred to San Francisco. At the time, all I knew was that California was the leftmost part of America, and after that, you fell off into the water. Well, after investing in a plethora of big winners in tech, from Google to Yahoo to PayPal to Zappos, he's still pretty afloat, though he'll leave out his investments in Webvan and eToys. Sorry to mention them, but they're all part of leadership, and that's what we're here to talk about, and a new book he has penned with Manchester United manager Sir Alex Ferguson called Leading. It's about soccer or football, depending on where you're from, and it means a lot more than just the sport. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. No problem. So I'm fascinated. You know, we all know you as a tech person here and a, and a, and a correspondent, going back further, uh, a, a journalist. Tell me why you decided to do this book. I had grown up, as you mentioned, in Wales. Right. And like all boys of my generation, Manchester United had always occupied a special place in right. our uh, firmament. And uh, over the years, I kept up with the club and then mm-hmm. followed it, began to follow it more avidly in the last 10, 15 years when uh, um, network television um, started broadcasting the Premier right. League mm-hmm. games and got curious about the club uh, because of its really wonderful performance under this legendary uh, manager, mm-hmm. uh, as they call the coaches in Britain, um, Sir Alex Ferguson, and began to wonder how any organization could keep up such a consistent winning streak mm-hmm. o- in, in, over four different decades, mm-hmm. because obviously that had great relevance mm-hmm. uh, for Sequoia itself, as right. we thought about building and went about building and Sequoia developing Capital, Sequoia where you are, Capital. Are you the founder? Are you one of the founders? Uh, no, uh, you, you Don Valentine Don was Valentine, the founder, that's right. but and joined I joined it, yeah. it in 1986, and we right. were still small. pretty small then. Right. And it was really before Silicon Valley uh, has, became the force in the economy that mm-hmm. it's become today. And people had been, um, well, you know, a few people have been suggesting I write about Sequoia, and um, I didn't want to do that for a variety of reasons. And I thought writing this book with Sir Alex was in a way 
writing a book about Sequoia mm-hmm. without writing about Sequoia. Right, because right. Because there's been other venture capital books. Ben Horowitz yeah, wrote one. There's been several, actually. Yes, but it was, uh, you know, Sequoia's been around since uh, the early 1970s. Right. And um, I also um, felt that United and Sir Alex exemplified and stood for a lot of the things that we hold dear. And uh, so that was the reason. So how did you get in touch with them? You've written two other books. Is that two or three other books? Uh, Two other books. Two other books. A a long, long time ago. Long, long time ago. I put the pen down for multiple decades. One was on Apple. And the other? The other was a book about Chrysler Mm -hmm. and the automobile industry that that I wrote in the late 1970s. Right. Uh, But each each of these books, whether it's this one, the current one uh, leading, or the previous book about Apple or Chrysler, each of them were uh, books about an organization headed by a very strong individual. Right. In the case of Chrysler, Lee Iacocca. In the case of Apple, Steve Jobs. And here, Alex Ferguson. Correct. So talk a little bit. When you say it, it's like uh, what's happening in your or what you're trying to do at your venture firm, talk about what they might have in common or what the commonalities of great leadership, because you know, Sir Alex Ferguson won so many, uh, you know, the the leading uh, soccer club in the world. Um, what are the, some of the strengths that he brings to the, what has he done correctly? And then let's talk about things that he talked about and you've talked about that he changed. Um, the, th- the thing that he always focused on, and it's uh, what we've tried to do at Sequoia as well, is at United... Um, he felt that you, before you had great performance on the football field, the soccer field, mm-hmm. you had to have a very solid organization. Right. And it had to be really developed. And you couldn't just hope to cobble together a team that would give you a result on a Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon. You had to build the organization. So this is a great club. You're trying to build a great club before yeah. you build a great team. Precisely right. Which is exactly how he would put it. And... I think that the way that you have consistently good or great investments is to have a very solid organization, in our case, a very solid partnership and solid Mm -hmm. team um, that you can develop over a long period of time and that then also uh, produces uh, consistently. And how do you do that in the case of this and in the case of the venture firm? What are the key attributes? it's it's very similar, although in the venture business you or in the investment business you have um, uh, one huge advantage, which is when your legs don't carry you as quickly as they used to, you can keep on playing, mm-hmm. and that's tough to do, obviously, in the in, right. in the world of uh, world of soccer. Uh, but the similarities, are, at least for us, are really great. Which is um, uh, we've always had a. a, a a great fondness for finding people uh, that we bring to Sequoia when they're still pretty young. Mm-hmm. Which he did. Which and, he did. Which it. he did. At United. He brought in David Beckham and others. And Cristiano Ronaldo and a mm-hmm. whole bunch of um, at then teenagers, boys mm-hmm. who were who were in their teens, and he developed them. And six, well, when seven he got years, there, it was an older group, and there was a lot. It was not it did not have the greatest reputation. Correct. That's right. Yeah. That's, it, uh, Manchester United is one of these um, uh, soccer clubs that had a great reputation mm-hmm. and then went through a fallow period of almost 20 years before he arrived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And w- one of the things is bringing in young people that he formed then, correct? He helped to more. They already had native talent. Right. But he then um, 
help form them, help mold them, help them improve, and in return uh, got repaid not just with great performances mm -hmm. but extraordinary loyalty. Mm -hmm. And uh, consistency and steadfastness. So, is that is that a similar thing when you think about venture capital? Think but, of the companies that you've invested in. Is that well? I, I think it, it starts at home, and for us, home is, is Sequoia Capital, mm -hmm. and those are the exact the same sorts of things that we try to uh, build inside of our uh, own partnership. Thinking that um, before we can go and invest and espouse these sorts of principles, we've got to practice it ourselves. Right. Uh, but I, it is true of some of the companies in uh, which we've been fortunate enough to be in. So getting to, to the firm itself, there's lots of ways to do firms, and it's changing over time. Andreessen mm -hmm. Horowitz has a different theory. There's been theories that these are sort of individual players. That's mm -hmm. that's sort of a, a common kind mm -hmm. of when you think about venture firms. I, I was at one, and they said we – we eat what we kill. I'll never forget that phrase from one mm. big venture capitalist. Lovely. And I know it was. I was sort of like, we wow, that's We try to sounds... keep things alive. Yeah. Um, um, but they were they were talking about a very different setup. So when you're talking about what makes successful venture capital, you're talking about a team approach to investing, not an individualized venture capital approach. We've always thought of ourselves as a team and these days as a collection of different teams because mm -hmm. we also work in China and mm -hmm. India and have a couple of other businesses. But it's a team approach and that, that no individual is bigger than the team. And that was true for Sir Alex. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, for example, when David Beckham and others began to feel for whatever reason that they were perhaps a bit larger than the club, right. they were traded. And, uh, controversial at the time, a big move. Extremely controversial. Mm -hmm. uh, but the right long term decision uh, for United because the team and the organization is indeed uh, bigger than every uh, than any individual and that's what we've always felt and that um, uh, you know it's very difficult on a with a with a team of soccer players to have 11 people consistently performing in every game at a high level and mm -hmm. it's the same same is true inside of an investment partnership and on a soccer field a, a striker or a defender is different from a goalkeeper mm -hmm. and so too inside of a venture firm you know people like Doug Leone Jim Getz uh, Roloff Bota some of the uh, Alfred Lin some of the other people at Neil Shannon China Shailendra in uh, Singh in India Everybody has different strengths. Right. And um, persuading people, whether it's in a soccer team or inside of an investment partnership, to recognize the other's strengths and their own place in mm -hmm. the team is um, just as important in both countries. Do, do you need a Sir Alex Ferguson? Are you that for Sequoia? Is I, that how it, how it works? You, do you need a, you know, a very, like a Lee Iacocca, a very strong leader in those situations? There's always somebody uh, in, in, in different generations who um, leads a, a soccer club or a, or a business like ours, and uh, it's been Sir Alex at United. Um, I wouldn't uh, uh, say that any of the three names that I'm about to mention, whether it's Don Valentine right. who started Sequoia or Doug Leone who is the um, um, leader – today or, or myself while I was doing it, uh, none of us um, had either the, the left or the right foot of Alex Ferguson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about what the key attributes to leading are what are and what are the, the places where people fall down and where mm -hmm. they don't do the right thing. And he mm -hmm. talked a little bit about things he used to do right and he used to do wrong. Um, 
and he changed over time and, yes. and things like that. So if you could think about what I really want to get to is what are the attributes of successful leadership because it can be different in lots of different ways. You can have an Amazon-like leadership. You can have a Google-like leadership. You can have uh, your venture firm and some others. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few. I'm going to be listening to the Alex Ferguson leading book. Um, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. We're here with Mike Moritz, uh, the famous venture capitalist from Sequoia Capital, who has also co-authored a book with Sir Alex Ferguson of Manchester United called Leading. And it's about leadership and uh, and comparing it to to the soccer, creating soccer teams and successful franchises and successful businesses. So, Mike, what do you, what do you think the 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 key attributes are? There key attributes to your leader, or do you just have to pick and choose among whatever works for? And because I can think of all kinds of leaders in Silicon Valley and in venture firms mm-hmm. and and in place like uh, Manchester United, are there commonalities? No, the personalities, obviously, the personalities, the accents, mm-hmm. um, the sex, mm-hmm. me differ obviously mm-hmm. but uh, there, there are uh, underlying attributes that I think span um, different organizations mm-hmm. soccer club venture firm technology company hospital mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the the really successful leader will have been w- is obsessed with something mm-hmm. it's the center of their life it's mm-hmm. the, it uh, demands all of their attention they have um, inner strength and mm-hmm. conviction and confidence. They may privately be afraid of failing from time to time, but uh, outside they're, outside they're, uh, they're able to display great confidence. They're confident enough to choose their own path rather than uh, react to uh, what others are doing and reacting to competitors because then you're not leading, you're really just following. Right. They now, un- when, they- you, when you get to that idea of, of passion, Mm-hmm. Um, and persistence. Ferguson talked about, you know, his wife sacrificed a lot because he was yes. always working and he was always yes. fo- he was obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, can that be sustained? And then we'll get to the other things. I mean, because that's a really interesting thing. That's a question of many companies is you talked about it. A lot of tech companies get to 10 years and then something happens. It can be sustained. Uh, so Alex is uh, an example of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had, a, even though he wasn't a founder of Manchester United, he mm-hmm. acted like a founder. Right. He acted with the ownership sensibility mm-hmm. of, a, uh, of one of the great founders that you'd find in one of the great Silicon Valley or one of the, mm-hmm. of the technology companies. But uh, whether or not it can be st- sustained depends on the individual. Mm-hmm. And there are examples of individuals who are able to men- – Steve Jobs right. is an example like mm-hmm. that. He was able to maintain that obsession, that energy, that sense of conviction, that sense of purpose, that mm-hmm. sense of destiny until very sadly sickness um, deprived, deprived him of that. I would argue he was more vibrant during his illness too because think about everything was invented – 
that would that we think about today after he got sick, which was interesting. Uh, that's right. That's right. But uh, eventually, he obviously was hollowed out by the mm-hmm. terrible uh, illness. And then there are other people who get distracted, and they no longer can summon that inner drive mm-hmm. um, that propelled them perhaps during the first 10 or 20 years of mm-hmm. their uh, working life when they enjoyed uh, great success. Everybody's, yeah. everybody's constituted differently. There. Right. Well, billions can make you soft from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, all right. So uh, obsession and they can also and persistence. Ha- and billions can also have no difference. Whatsoever. No difference at all. Absolutely. Um, so uh, obsession Obsession. Persistence. Uh, eliminating uh, distractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning how Give to... Give me th- an example. Like, eliminate... Just not being pushed around by outside forces? When somebody's as successful as Sir Alex, or if you're running a company like Google, or uh, another high... Facebook, or any of these high-profile companies, there are all sorts of demands on your time mm-hmm. by entities and people... Uh, who will not benefit the business in any way. Mm-hmm. And one thing Sir Alex did, for example, was refuse to um, go to lunch mm-hmm. um, when he was working at Manchester United. He'd make a couple of charity appearances a year, but he always felt going to have lunch with somebody was a big distraction. It took huh. him away from the training ground. It meant mm-hmm. to drive to and from the lunch. And before you knew it, there was two hours out of the day. Right. Or showing up at work 20 minutes late because you want to read the, uh, you know, in, in, in the earlier days, you'd read a printed newspaper. He right. wouldn't do stuff like that. Or closing off lots of invitations that just take away from the hours that you can devote to your job. And you look at Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or any of the really successful technology leaders, they are very good about shutting out the things that don't matter for the thing that they care right. about. Right, yep, yep. I think I remember Larry and Sergey telling me they got rid of, at some one point, their assistants because they were scheduled too much. Right. They or, didn't want to be scheduled. Or Bill Gates early on took the t- TV tuner out of his television because he didn't want to get distracted by watching television channels right. and all he did wanted to do was watch educational videotapes or he took the radio out of his mm-hmm. um, car dashboard because he didn't want to be distracted by radio chatter, uh, including fine programs like this, I, I, I suspect, um, uh, on his way to and from the airport yeah. in Seattle. So do you do that? Do I try think? and shut out uh, the rest of the world uh, when I'm really concentrating on mm-hmm. something. Absolutely, yes. I, I just don't think you can work very effectively otherwise. Mm-hmm. So when I was writing the book, for example, uh, I tend to start working at um, you know 5 in the morning and work mm-hmm. until 7.30 without looking at television without checking email, without doing any, or without looking at my phone, because at least in that pursuit, um, it was, uh, it just took your mind away from the matter right. at hand. Yeah. And there's so much to distract you now mm-hmm. as, as in, in any, in any case. Yeah. So let's talk about. And people forget how few hours there are in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, once you eliminate sleep, uh, sleep and eating and. Well, you advocate sleep, and, correct? What? You advocate sleep. Huh? I do advocate sleep. All right. Uh, and, and recovery and fitness and health mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, good, you know, a healthy diet and all that stuff. So what else? Uh, okay, so that's obsession, focus, persistence. Uh, well, we talked about delegating and trusting people, mm-hmm. uh, giving people a sense of purpose, um, having, uh, perpetuating a sense of discipline within any organization. So, so give that, me an example at Manchester United. 
Well, um, one of the famous examples at Manchester United is that there was an extremely good, if not great player called Roy Keane, Mm -hmm. who uh, was the captain of the club for many years, who questioned Sir Alex's authority Mm -hmm. on um, one or two occasions. And after he did that, the morning afterwards, he was gone. And um, David Beckham. Uh, when um, he began to get distracted by the siren call of celebrity, mm. was immediately traded to Real Madrid. Mm. Um, or um, other examples of um, players who did something silly, um, or perhaps uh, you know there were a few who out drinking for for New Year's who were uh, or or for Christmas who were uh, suspended for three games, even though. Uh, a couple of them were the star players of the era, and United's performance would suffer from the fact that they weren't in the And what club. would that do? I mean, that doesn't happen in Silicon Valley. I can't think of how much more coddling they can do to these people on some level. Well, it depends. Um, I think uh, every every business is, is different, but um, if um, the high-performing companies, you won't see them tolerate um, – um, a lack of performance uh, for for very long. I know certainly uh, for us we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to give everybody a shot. You want to do everything you can to make somebody succeed. But then if they stray off the reservation or underperform, uh, there's not going to be a place for them in a high-performing organization. Right. And uh, I, I think that's life at the – in any organization that exceeds to excel, uh, that, uh, that desires to excel, it's been an interesting debate with the Amazon story about how mm-hmm. tough a place it is to work. Did you? How did you find something like that? If it, does it have to be a tough place to work, or just demanding a? Well, I read I read the story in the New York Times, and if you had the choice between being a shareholder in the New York Times company and in <laughs> Amazon, I know which one yeah. uh, I would pick, and I thought it was a. Harsh, uncharitable story of one of America's great companies. And if you go into all of the great companies, mm-hmm. it can be Google, Facebook, right. Intel, Oracle, Cisco, Microsoft, Amazon. Mm-hmm. At the peak of their glory, they're all hard, tough, uncompromising places they to are. work. So are, so are banks and you know different places. It's interesting. Microsoft, for sure, uh, had that reputation yes. for a long time, which was celebrated, which was interesting. Yes. For, and then others, Google, yeah. they, Google Amazon, is a hard Amazon place, but they hide a, it. Amazon should be a company that the New York Times and others celebrate. Mm-hmm. The accomplishments of that company, that management team are just staggering. So let's talk a little bit about um, some things that could go wrong when you're a leader. What should you be able to change? I mean, at one point, he had not, he was talking about not being charitable enough, um, being too tough, being too uncompromising. And he, and he also said he was much more emotional in his early years mm-hmm. and yelling um, and screaming. Didn't have didn't share enough um, compassion or empathy. I think mm-hmm. uh, early on with uh, as he was finding his own way. I think probably that's common and true of anybody in their twenties and thirties. It's just as you grow through and uh, go through life and see more. Uh, examples of uh, human behavior, you become more nuanced in your understanding mm-hmm. of others. Uh, the other thing that um, he, 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 he was also keen to do was to um, take advantage of changes 
as they developed and mm -hmm. where they made sense for his club. So diets changed, the technology underneath the uh, soccer pitches themselves changed, training routines changed mm -hmm. massively over Absolutely. the course of the uh, uh, 40 or 50 years that he himself was coaching. So where it made it made sense, he was a video analysis at, at Manchester United. Um, and then externally, it wasn't really under his or, uh, umbrella as much. Um, clubs like United took great advantage of the spread of technology right. as well, whether at first it was cable television, then satellite, mm -hmm. and now obviously mobile and social networks. Right, which they're making themselves popular as a Very. global entity Very. and a business. It's a global mm -hmm. business now. Mm -hmm. It's really, I mean, I didn't realize it had been so small when he started and it became, it's this public yeah, company. Uh, uh, thanks Going large, by a Florida family, thanks, right? So, thanks largely um, to the growth of video coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather, uh, rather than just television coverage, mm -hmm. and the number of devices on. Uh, I often watch United games on my cell phone, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is interesting. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about you and your investing thoughts. You wrote a really terrific essay recently about private companies and the pitfalls and the benefits to mm -hmm. being one. And interesting enough, Bill Gurley this week talked about that too. Uh, mm -hmm. He was more talking about valuations. Mm -hmm. We want to get to that and sort of where some of your theories are going forward and how what you think the key leadership principles are going forward. These days, you can probably get anything you want on demand or wherever you want it. So why are you still taking trips to the post office and dealing with those limited hours and the hassle? Anything you can do at the post office, you can do right at your desk with stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any package or letter using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, stamps.com never closes. Start avoiding the post office and start doing the better things with your time, like playing soccer, for example. Right now, sign up for stamps.com and use a promo code DECODE for this special offer, a four-week trial plus $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in DECODE. It's that simple. Go to stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE and get started today. We're here with Mike Moritz, famous venture capitalist, and we were talking about his book that he did with Alex Ferguson called Leading. It's about the attributes of a leader and what makes important uh, lessons to be learned, which can be put anywhere in life. Um, let's talk about the lessons learned right now in Silicon Valley. You've been here an awful long time, Mike. Uh, you came here, what, year 76? Is that right? Or, no. I, I moved you, to US, San Francisco in 1980. 80. And so talk a little bit about the change. You came here as a journalist. You're yeah, now a venture I, capitalist. Yes. Um, I was a journalist. I worked at Time Magazine. Um, for uh, a few years and then left and, and started a uh, um, company, the, a little company that uh, many years later, not thanks to me, so, uh, but others, uh, became part of um, Dow Jones and then um, in 1986 uh, joined Sequoia Capital. So talk about the <clears throat> changes that you see that are happening and what you think is important right now. How are you, how are you, you're, you're in, you've done decades of venture investing. Uh, the, the biggest change um, is the way in which technology infuses so many more parts of the economy mm -hmm. than it did when at least I right. um, got started and got my feet wet in the business, when our investment diet was largely at that time semiconductor companies mm -hmm. and computer systems companies and maybe some disk drive companies. Right, and then software. With, and a little bit of software. Right. But then the personal computer business came along and began to change everything. Mm -hmm. But now you look at where technology is and where uh, investors the world uh, technology investors the world over investing and they now have a way to invest in 
in retailers and entertainment companies, information companies, mm-hmm. the advertising business, the soccer health, business, healthcare business, um, so many different logistics businesses, mm-hmm. so many different businesses that we financial services, which mm-hmm. is a you know, a very a big emphasis of ours. And you're in some very interesting company like and, Klarna and others. And Klarna and, and, and Stripe and mm-hmm. Square and Prosper and mm-hmm. uh, several others in China and, um, in, and in India. We would never in the early 1980s have dreamed in a million years mm-hmm. that we'd be investing in all of these different segments. So that without doubt is uh, the largest change. So the, the ubiquitousness last 40 years. of technology. Yeah, and it's the fact that computing is, you know, it's, it's no great insight here. It's mm-hmm. just that computing has just got so much cheaper. Well, it's. I mean, particularly, obviously, with the proliferation of, uh, of smartphones. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I think about is uh, it's a little like electricity. We did, we, it was very much thought of when it was invented, and then it becomes invisible. And now yes. it's invisibly in every You're exactly single thing. Right. Um, exactly. uh, we did, it's interesting because you don't get up in the morning and say, ah, the electrical grid. You, we do talk about technology more than we talk about right. more or, important or, technologies. Or the fact that when both of us started um, our various journeys in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. you would wake up in the, the morning and maybe see your alarm clock, but you wouldn't see a device no. that allowed you to go on an adventure along perhaps two million different journeys mm-hmm. that you could take. No. Before you left your bed. Yeah. It was all phone calls, too. It was all making phone calls from a, sta- from a landline phone. But mm-hmm. rather than age ourselves, Mike, um, what do you think is important now? What are you, what are you, what are you looking at? You've, you've invested in so many different companies. And again, um, even the ones that are big are constantly under siege. They're constantly having to innovate even more when they get to a certain size, companies like Google and others. Right. I, I've always been very bad. I, I'm certainly no soothsayer um, about – and everybody can talk about all these buzz phrases right. about virtual reality or or AI or the Internet of Things. And all the buzz phrases or the importance of mobile, mm-hmm. none of that means all that much to me. We, we just try and find a business that sounds very interesting, that does something meaningful. And one of the reasons I'm so skittish about trying to predict anything is that some of the very best businesses – are ones pursuing the most unlikely sorts of things that when you first hear about them, you think are utterly implausible. Right. And uh, one bright, shining example of that in our um, portfolio today is Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And when we first um, encountered Airbnb, we never dreamed that this was a company that within our lifetime would be able to book more room nights Right. in a single day than the entire Hilton hotel chain worldwide. Mm-hmm. But here we are just a few years after it was started by this incredibly able trio uh, headed by Brian Chesky, um, and, it's doing, uh, and, it's, and it's doing that. But, you know, you ask about important themes. I think the other important, you know, the big, uh, one of the very big themes today is the importance of China. Mm-hmm. And not just as a domestic market. Market, right. Um, where we've... Uh, operated thanks to Neil Shen and uh, and others now for 13 or 14 years, but because of the interrelationships that are growing up between these companies and the importance um, of the U.S. market increasingly for Chinese companies and for U.S. companies 
uh, to have a springboard in which to go and uh, prosecute their business in China. It has and been difficult, which has been difficult. It's been difficult, but it um, is something that if you approach it correctly – uh, is eminently achievable. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that over the next 10. That's the ne- that's the big second chapter. And them coming, and then the Chinese companies yeah, coming here, big, which still hasn't happened really in sure. a large amount. It's small and aimed but, at Chinese but, consumers who but live the, here. But, but there are some really good examples that I think are harbingers of things to come. DJI mm-hmm. is a drone the company. The drone company. Mm-hmm. And it is the leading drone company in the world. Uh, it gets the majority of its sales from the U.S. market. I think most people, if they just opened the box of um, DJI um, uh, and and took out one of these drones, would say, oh, this was built in Cupertino or Mountain View. Mm-hmm. It's built in Shenzhen. Right, right. And that's a company that is a global company for whom the U.S. is the most important market. Mm-hmm. What about a company like Xiaomi or, or uh, Tencent? Um, for Different companies. Two different re- for, for different reasons, I think they will go and um, particularly Xiaomi uh, emulate the Huawei strategy and probably go to most other countries around the world before they would think about coming to um, the U.S. or um, uh, uh, the U.S. or um, Canada or Europe. And Tencent has been busy. Uh, making investments in U.S. companies mm-hmm. as their foothold. It's an extremely well-managed, very, very impressive company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have great global ambitions. Right. So you're talking the advent of the Chinese companies dominating the way U.S. companies had have been doing. Well, they're seven of the most of the 20 most valuable internet companies in the world are Chinese. Mm-hmm. That isn't in 2030. That's in October 20 or November 2015. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, how do you think the U.S. West, the Western companies are faring then? What are the challenges they face? You're in a lot of them. Look, take Google, for example. The, I, think it, I don't think it's easy to cross boundaries for any company, whether it's a Chinese company coming to America or, or, or vice versa. Um, the Chinese companies are probably better equipped to do it than the American companies. And it's not for the reason that most people point to, which is regulation. There's a lot of regulation mm-hmm. in America that doesn't help a Chinese company coming here. But the language barrier isn't as tricky for a Chinese company coming here as it is in the other right. direction. Many of the management team of these Chinese companies have spent time at American universities and have mm-hmm. lived in America and have a better sense and sense of feeling for America, mm-hmm. understanding of America than their counterparts mm-hmm. do uh, for China. Um, they also um, have a openness and willingness to learn about uh, how they need to modify their um, company's products for, for success here. I think for, uh, the American companies still have less of a – the leaders of these companies, unfortunately, have less of an inclination to go to China right. and say, we know nothing about your country. We're here to learn. We come – Mark Zuckerberg would be the only one I'm get, speaking Chinese. And or, I th- yeah, there are a few yeah. um, exa- – but I think he's the example that proves the rule. Right. And uh, uh, most assume that – uh, China is a slightly larger version of Germany, right. and what works in Germany can therefore work in China. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Right. But right. Um, the Chinese um, 
have a set of rules, um, and they're, they're quite clear about those. But they're also very clear as well, in our opinion, that they welcome things that will make life better for their citizens. Right. So I want to finish up talking about an essay you did um, mm-hmm. very quickly uh, about private companies and uh, the downfalls of them and the and the pluses. You used, you contrasted Dell with Theranos. Uh, obviously, Theranos is in the news due to their, the issues around their blood testing equipment. Uh, Dell just bought EMC. Um, how do you how do you look? Talk a little bit about what you were trying to get to there. I was. This was a, a piece that appeared in 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 the Financial Times recently, and. Um, the only point I was trying to make was that um, private uh, operating in a private as a private company uh, offers a whole bunch of benefits for the operator um, that uh, can be put to good use. And Google and Facebook famously operated, I think, make great yes. success, uh, make great um, uh, use of being private to. Um, um, grow their businesses quickly, recruit lots of people uh, with favorably priced uh, stock options, be able to hide from um, which the a lot of unicorns of, are doing now. Uh, the, <laughs> the scrutiny of competitors right. in particular, right. uh, who didn't realize how good their business was, mm-hmm. and to operate in a fairly stealthy fashion. I think, uh, and to sort of learn, to stutter in the private market before speaking fluently in the public market. Mm-hmm. However, all of which is really healthy. However, I think there are a number, not a number of companies who operate in the private market that are just deluding themselves and are using the shadows um, and privacy that being private offers to not disclose very much about what they're doing, particularly to investors, to camouflage reality, to camouflage the truth. Um, and to deceive themselves of uh, reality. And that's compounded by the way in which some of them have raised capital. Right. It's easy money. Not a, well, they it, get a lot of funding. It actually quickly. is the, the terms. Now, some of them, not all of them, but some of them. And, you know, I call these companies the subprime unicorns. Right. Yeah. I like that um, term. Actually, uh, the money might have come easily. But they'll eventually discover right. it's not easy money. It's extremely painful because what they have done is the uh, a private equivalent of taking on a huge amount of su- subprime obligations. And these companies have raised capital at very sporty valuations. But the capital is not equity capital. It's debt mm-hmm. in everything but legal name. Mm-hmm. And will be very painful uh, when um, those come if those companies um, don't deliver on their promises. Are you worried right now about that? That are there too many of those? Or is that I, no? I'm not worried about about it because I think any company and board of directors that assumes uh, that sort of those sorts of punitive financing terms deserve whatever. God bless them if they sail through it and succeed. Mm-hmm. That's terrific. That's wonderful for them, but. Um, if they eventually founder and have to pay the piper, they only have to look in the mirror to see who was to blame. Right. Last question. You step back a little bit from Sequoia mm-hmm. uh, due to an illness. Um, how, do you, how, do you, you seem very passionate right now. Speaking of passionate, mm-hmm. being a leadership quality, have you? how do you feel about your well, career I, right now? I'm, I'm an individual contributor yeah. uh, at Sequoia, yeah. just um, a member of the team. Right. 
and um, very involved. With a whole bu- <laughs> I with like a, your humility, Mike. W- with a whole bunch of companies, yeah, yeah. Uh, including some very young companies mm-hmm. like um, you mentioned Klarna in, mm-hmm. in Sweden, which is or, a very exciting company, or, or Stripe and Instacart, another uh, one uh, right here in San Francisco. The young private uh, companies, all three of them run by fantastic founding teams, just mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, and this is a. Uh, an exciting time to be investing in technology. And I think the, uh, you know, we all think life is, uh, the investments are coming fast and furious, but I think uh, the next 10, 15 years, the developments are going to be even faster than they've been in the last. So how do you keep up your, your leadership qualities? Well, I, I, in the comfortable position of not having to be a leader. Well, you are, So I am just a mere follower. Oh, I see. I don't think that's true at all. But in terms of keeping the the same thing, the persistence, the passion, the the obsession, do you still think you're like that? Uh, It's very invigorating to be, to do two things. One, to test yourself, to see if you can still perform at a high level. Mm -hmm. And the second is to be around young people brimming with ideas and vigor and energy about doing something that really matters. Mm -hmm. So, Sir Michael, thank you. Thanks, Karen. I like calling someone a sir. If you like what you heard and don't want to wait until next week, be sure to check out our other show, Recode Replay. We have scores of more Red Chair interviews from all our events with guests like Google's Andy Rubin and Amit Singhal. Current President Barack Obama and presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton. All this and more at recode.net slash replay. Also, if you haven't kept up with this show, be sure to check out previous episodes of Recode Decode, including fantastic interviews with a panoply of people such as famous venture capitalist Mark Andreessen, media mogul Ariana Huffington, and Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor, who made a little show called Girls, all on Recode .net/decode Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by audible.com which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com/decode. Now let's talk a little bit with our good friend and fellow geek Lauren Good of The Verge. Lauren, I'm hangry. Uh-oh. Angry and hungry. And we're going to be talking about food delivery services, of which I am a great user and a lover of them. You know, say. one thing I really like about talking about food tech yeah. is that food, unlike some other areas of tech, is actually something that you, re- you really need. Yeah. Like in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs you need pyramid. You probably don't need you really gourmet do. it's food like, delivered for almost no money paid for by VCs, but okay. No, but it's, it's kind of like, you know... Some people would probably say, oh, I need my iPhone more or whatever it is. In reality, everybody needs food. They do. They do. Not quite as much as I eat, but still. So let's talk about some of the food delivery services. I do use them all, so I'm rather familiar. And and you say they're in three buckets. That's the way I look at them. Uh, There are grocery delivery services and other kinds of item, you Mm -hmm. know, itemized delivery. And you're looking at companies like Instacart or Postmates, at least here in the States. And then there's the hot food on-demand delivery segment, 
where you look at companies like Seamless and Grubhub. Which deliver from restaurants. DoorDash. Yeah, they go, you know, a lot of restaurants don't necessarily have the most sophisticated systems in place to handle this, or they don't have the staff to handle delivery. So they'll use these services, and then you can just use an app. And even companies like Uber are getting into this, right? Right. And then there's the meal kit delivery services. Yeah, but in the hot food delivery, there's also like Sprig and Munchery. Oh, yeah, there are lots of them. Spoon Rocket. They're not a restaurant. They don't exist as a restaurant. In some, You are absolutely correct. In some cases like Sprig, they actually have their own um, Mm -hmm. kitchen where they make everything fresh. Right. Uh, And then there are meal kits. So there are things like HelloFresh and uh, Munchery is getting into this and Blue Apron is one of the best known ones where they deliver you the ingredients that you need and promise that it'll be really fast for you to cook your own meals. In little bags. You do. Yeah, lots of little bags. And you do your own cooking and you feel kind of like essentially. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it yeah. is, really. Have you used them? Um, I have. I think it's cooking for idiots. Um, I use a lot more the the meal services because they're so incredibly inexpensive, and I, I, I like taking money from venture capitalists because <laughs> it's ridiculous, the prices. Like, it's kind of strange. I, you know, as, as you know, I always joke, San Francisco is assisted living for millennials, so I feel like I'm benefiting from... Yeah. I like to joke that it's sort of infantilizing people, you know, doing all the things like their laundry and their car washing and their food delivery and their, you know, your mom would have done when you were growing up. Also, though, New York City is like this all the time. That's the only city. New York City, New York City has always been a city of convenience, though. Yeah. And the truth is, is that if you don't want to pay $10 for on top of something for delivery, you can just walk to the street corner and get it. Not a lot of cities or metropolitan areas operate like that. All right. So what are the business models of these things? They're usually charging some type of delivery fee plus tip or... Or some type of percentage is added to the order for something. Sometimes they're building other services on top of services. I mean, for example, Blue Apron just launched a wine service. So mm-hmm. that's their attempt to sell wine in addition to the meal mm-hmm. kits. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times this is just all about customer acquisition, getting new customers to try your stuff, and then recurring revenue. If you're doing a subscription service, mm-hmm. something like a they meal kit delivery or, service, yeah. or yeah, then they, they know they have you for a certain number of cycles. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of you know, companies like that idea because whether they're doing something like clothing in a box or doggy trees or something, they know they have a certain amount of recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately this is all kind of a long-term data play mm-hmm. about the customers. I mean, if you look at a company like Amazon and you say, why are they getting so deep into right. fresh delivery services or fresh us. food services? Well, it helps create a great customer profile when you know what somebody's eating, when they're eating it, and you can kind of, you know, figure out why they're eating something. Right. If right. it's a special Absolutely. occasion or a certain time of day or so holiday. So it's a nefarious plot by Amazon, as usual. Well, a lot of these companies, they just yeah, exactly. they want a lot of customer data. Uh, why are there so many? Well, there's so many of these things. I mean, that's the thing. You kind of worry about their business models because there's they seem like there's a bento box one. There's a they're like crazy. They're like, <laughs> you do wonder about the niche ones. Yeah. Sometimes I think there are so many because everyone's trying to own the delivery game. Mm-hmm. And I think it sort of comes back to what we said earlier, that food is it's an actual need. It's mm-hmm. something that everybody needs mm-hmm. at least a few times a day if, if you're lucky enough. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you know, whatever company can figure out the really sort of complex network of farming and food distribution and food shipment and stuff like that, then I think that you actually have a chance of solving some really serious issues. I'm not saying every company is going to do that. Right. Listen, if you, you know, if you're just like the hot dogs on demand service, right. right. And, and who knows how long something like that would last. But I think that if you're really, if you can really sort of crack this nut, there are great implications for how we can sell food. But right now it feels like they only want to serve me a balsamic pork chop, really. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was just, right, you know, local organic. Local organic for people who can afford it kind of thing. Um, Although they are quite low in price comparatively. 
Um, so, and Uber's getting into it, and Google and Amazon, the rest of them, all of them are getting yes. into it. So, what's Uber doing? Because they, they, you know, they're moving, they could move anything around. They're moving um, people around, but why not move, you know, balsamic pork chops? Uber is starting out slow. Mm-hmm. They're in about a half a dozen cities right now. They launched a few months ago. Um, they actually launched in San Francisco back in August. And um, they're saying that basically within 10 minutes of your order, you know, you'll get a meal that ranges in price from 8 to $12 plus a $3 service fee. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll deliver it to you like pretty much on demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sort of it's sort of what Sprig and some other services yeah. are doing, but they're right. Uber, right? So they already have this global network of drivers. How do they do in 10 minutes? Are they in the back of their car? How long, how long do you usually wait for an Uber? You know, I know, but they have to go get the food and cook it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think – what did Travis say when he, he did an interview with Stephen trunk. Colbert yeah. on this recently? They, they've got it in the, cool, in the cooler. They're not actually, like, smearing peanut butter and jelly on bread in the back yeah. seat or something. Yeah, right, you know, exactly. It's not like Travis is going to roll up in a blue apron. And, yeah, that would be something. But, uh, but yeah, I think they've got it, you know – They've got an in right. That's what the bento box thing is. They have a, they have hot and cold coolers, and mm-hmm. then they assemble your bento box in seconds. And they drive around in circles. What's parts. that one called? Bento. Just bento. Bento. Yeah. Is it so good? It, it's like a like it's a cardboard thing, and you stick little bentos. The different if you want add them whatever you want, and some are hot and some are cold. And then they figure out what most people want, and they'll have all the hots and hot locos. And then you can like get six different kinds, and they have them all there, and they just assemble your box so it looks like it's totally personalized. Wow, a personalized bento box a on demand. I don't think I've. I think we've just hit peak San Francisco. I know we have at peak this San, moment exactly. on Recode exactly. Radio. Yes, I think uh, Jason Calacanis showed it to me. Oh, there okay. Um, so, what's Amazon doing? Amazon has a couple different because they deliver everything. Fires cooking, no pun intended. Yeah, like, they I think about everything. buying toilet paper and it's at my house before I get home. <laughs> like, you know, Amazon seems to know. In an Amazon you need one book. of those dash buttons. You can just seriously, press next it's to the freaky. Toilet. Like, I order something and three days, seconds later, it's yeah, it's there. I know. Amazon is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I uh, just ordered something for a family member and had it shipped and it's arriving and. She's like, how is this happening so quickly? You must be paying a fortune for FedEx. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, it's Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in either case, uh, so what is Amazon doing? All right. They launched a couple years ago. They launched something called, what is it called? Prime Fresh. And they've been experimenting for a while with grocery delivery services. Um, but they had this like cra- – originally they had this crazy $299 annual fee while they were trying to get people to use it. It's grocery deliveries, right? Um but they've, I guess they've just been sort of extending the free trial of it for so long mm-hmm. that in participating cities, it's still sort of in this this beta thing. Mm-hmm. So that's fresh groceries. Then in September, they launched um, food delivery through its Prime Now app, which is one hour delivery app. But mm-hmm. that's only happening in Seattle right now. Right. So it's still early days for Amazon, even though they've been toying with this for a while. The yeah. idea is that they want to sort of get in both on the grocery delivery side, but also the instant on food, demand the side, eating. getting so right hot food to Like people. takeout, essentially, and, you know, hard goods, the kind of things that you get at the store. Yeah, Amazon is sort of painting this picture of just owning your life yeah. from the moment you wake up yeah. until, you know, for the I guess, you I guess for you it would be like from food to toilet paper. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. <laughs> very funny. You're very funny. Um, so <laughs> I actually have a question for you. Sure. So I was going to ask you a final question. You've been covering tech for a while. Yeah. Oh, do, yeah. You, do you? Yeah. Want go to... ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And you were around during the yes. n- you know dot web com van. boom and web van web van was and the so do you one. and then there was Cosmo dot com and Cosmo yeah yep I said they were one assault away from the end of their business because like they would like a crazy person would deliver a Snickers bar to you 
Oh, really? Yeah. So they were sort of facing some of the charges that we were facing now. Yeah, I just, it's weird. It just was weird. It was yeah. just like, it was a strange service. Huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of those imploded. Yeah, and they so did. So see- it was interesting. I had Mike Moritz in. He was Mr. Webvan. Um, he had the big investment in Webvan, and we laughed about it. But, you know, the conceptual idea was correct. The idea of getting, no, ha- not having to go to stores and everything, it's ridiculous to go to a store and hunt and grab things. It just doesn't make any sense. It's so inefficient from a energy point of view from a time point of view and the delivery stuff is smart um so i think webvan was much too early and it was people didn't have smartphones again it was it's all based around a smartphone i think and so i think conceptually the idea was correct it wasn't executed correctly back then because we think timing is everything mm-hmm. um i do i really am intrigued by a lot of these services at the same time there's too many of them they're too low priced they are dying for business. I'm suddenly getting inundated by all the delivery services. So use me, use me, use me. And, you know, I use one now, I guess. Um, I think I use Montreal more than others because mm-hmm. I happen to like the food. Um, but, it, but I don't use it a lot. And I think that's the question is how, how long can VCs fund these things? Um, that said, the ones like Instacart or um, Caviar where it's from restaurants makes total sense to me. It's like Open Table or Yelp or, you know what I mean? It's just these, co- these companies can't do, these individual businesses can't do delivery as well as they should and it's a great way to do delivery do you think that some of them will get absorbed eventually i think a lot of them will just go away they'll just go away yeah and then the ones with the meal preparing meals i don't think it's very scalable i'm sorry i don't i think it's why is that because it just isn't not many people want to do that like you you know i think you you either get your groceries delivered which i think is important Mm -hmm. or you have your meal delivered but the in-between is it's a little odd Mm -hmm. again assisted living for millennials i think it works in san francisco and very few other places. Do you think that some of these companies have the potential to actually create a shift in the way that we eat and consume things? No. I mean, not just here, but I, I mean in no, bigger. No, I think it's just not no stores. I think Amazon, yes. I think what Amazon's doing around delivering goods and services, and then the others that are following are super important. I don't the think we'll have the a store. grocery store is actually pretty bizarre. It's bizarre because it's it's sort of why, why because it it? it creates this sort of hunter gatherer yeah, dynamic. I shouldn't be doing but it's it. it's all. Um, just false. It's all when you the food it's a waste of is time farmed. and money and marketing and putting on the shelves. It doesn't make any sense. It's like displaying it, it's right? Like there's so many other good ways of getting it. And one of the things we had the head of Walmart to code two years ago maybe, and he was talking about that Walmart's not going to have big stores someday. Like you're going to have a ten thousand square foot store maybe to look at certain things. Some things you do want to look at. Um, and you want to see t- televisions bring to mind stuff thing you do want to physically see, but uh, but most things you know cereal you don't need to see the cereal. So you have a you still have distribution centers. Yes. you wouldn't necessarily yes. have the f- and then who controls that is the issue. I think it's going to be a self driving car. It's going to just come to your house and put it in your garage for you. Wow. I know. So in the future, you will have a self driving car that drives to a distribution warehouse, skips the whole retail store process, yeah. picks up something. And then brings it to you. Yeah. And you you have not communicated with a single human being no. in this process because no. you summoned it through, for, yes. through your wearable or your smartphone yep. or some yep. type of yep. internet platform yep. in your home. Yep. And then so how does how does the pricing work for something like that then when you cut some of the middlemen out? Well, it's, you could have lower prices. You know, if you don't need gas, if you don't need a car anymore, for example, you don't need to pay for the gas station, you don't need to pay for maintenance, you got money for other things. Mm-hmm. You're wasting money on all kinds of things. It doesn't work in every place, but it does work in a lot of places. Okay. And who do you think is going to own that? <sighs> Amazon, Google, um, Uber. What about you mentioned Caviar before, right? Isn't that yeah, they're Square. Yeah, yeah. That's do you, an do you think like Jack Dorsey sure will be CEO of that company. company too? He should be CEO of every company in <laughs> Silicon Valley. And that is my last word. 
Thanks, Carol. All right, Lauren, good. He should come to my house and make me dinner, by the way, Jack Dorsey. Get over. Quick, 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 quick. Oh, I thought you wanted me to come over. No, yes, dinner. you should, too. No, I just get to fix your 4K well, TV you, boxes. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting by the, by the door. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Good. See you next week. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Next week, I'm off to Beijing, China for the 2015 Tencent Media Conference. But don't worry, we'll have a great interview for you, this time with Box co-founder and CEO Aaron Levy. Trust me, you won't want to miss it. Thanks a lot. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by Digital Media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.